Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 72 of Crunch Time with the N326 Duo. I'm your host, Sam Gotzi, and with me today, as always, is Tanner Dislin. Who's more fraudulent, Syracuse or Oklahoma State? Was there a revival of Christian McCaffrey and San Fran and a, popo- a postponement in the World Series? Who would have thought? We talk about this and so much more on episode 72 of Crunch Time. Tanner, as pretty usual, we are going to start with winner and loser of the episode, but we're going to start with the bad. Tanner, who is our loser? Yeah, I tell you what, it's, it's a little bit tough because this team is definitely deserving of a loser, but they were a part of probably the best NFL game of the day yesterday. And this is the Carolina Panthers. And more specifically, Eddie Pinheiro, their kicker, and a little bit of DJ Moore uh, in, in a celebration. <laughs> so to set the scene, it's a very high-scoring affair in the uh, in the Panthers-Falcons game. With the struggles of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this game was for first place in the NFC South. Yes, you heard that <laughs> correct. The The Panthers and the Falcons played for first half or first place in the NFC South. It was a 34 to 28 game with under a minute left when Panthers quarterback PJ Walker, who uh, really hasn't, I mean, not I'm sure not many people would have been able to tell you that PJ Walker was the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. He rolled out to his non-throwing hand through an absolute dime at least seven, 60, 70 yards in the air. I mean, easily the early contender for throw of the year, and frankly, is going to be pretty hard to be topped. It was an absolute dime to the back of the end zone. DJ Moore streaking in the back of the end zone, catches it for the touchdown. They were down six, and this was with around 30 seconds left. And in celebration, he gets up and tosses his helmet. That results in a 15-yard penalty. So the extra point gets moved back. I think the equivalent was to like a 48-yard uh, field goal for the extra point uh, after the um, after the penalty, which still is makeable and should be made by an NFL <laughs> kicker. Of course, he misses it. The game goes to overtime. In overtime, Marcus Mariota throws an interception um, that the Panthers return down to around the 20-yard line of the Falcons. So they're in easy field goal range. <laughs> No problem. They just kind of run the ball a few times, get a little bit closer, center the ball, send out Eddie Pinheiro, and he misses again. An absolute chip shot from around 35 yards, misses it. Atlanta gets the ball back with new life. They drive down to the other side of the field, kick a field goal, and win the game. So it was super entertaining from a uh, you know from a spectator point of view. But my God, you have an extra point. You have a 35-yard field goal, and the extra point would have been 15 yards closer had DJ Moore not lost his composure and ripped off his helmet after catching the long touchdown to seemingly win the game for the Panthers. I don't know how you come back from that. I mean, as a Panthers fan, I don't, I don't know how you come back from anything if you're a Panthers fan, but <laughs> let alone this game, if you're a player on the Panthers or you're a Panthers fan, I am so sorry because that is as demoralizing as it gets. Uh, I mean, it, it looked like it was a fun come from behind win and it all goes to hell from your kicker and your star wide receiver taking off his helmet. Yeah, it, it's funny. 
you said it was from 48, right? Money McPherson just missed a 48-yarder to end the uh, – with 40 seconds left in the second half. Uh, but, yeah, the that game was crazy. I remember my dad actually texted me uh, and said, Carolina game is unreal also. Bomb with 12 seconds. Couple of minutes later, haha! Receiver took his helmet off. Fifteen penalty and missed the extra point. So me and Tanner were hanging out, and we're like, "Oh, we gotta watch the end of this." And of course, it wasn't on TV, so we get some illegal uh, broadcast of it, and we tuned in, and that was a must-watch collapse, honestly. Um, but yeah, definitely worthy of our loser of the episode. I think both, both of us were speechless when we missed that extra, missed the uh, field goal in, in overtime because we saw the interception. We're like, okay, at least they're going to win the game. Psych. Yeah, it's so bad. Um, but as for the winner of the episode, we are going to go with Michael McGuire now. Who is that? I'm sure you have seen a picture of him going around. It's everywhere on social media. This dad recently went viral for coming to a Kentucky basketball game after coal mining. He has just covered in dirt to watch to watch a game with his son. And this got a hold of uh, Calipari. And he is like, oh, that's how my family grew up. Um, so I know the feeling of being there for the team or being there for the, his kids and just wanting to be there. So Calipari actually gave the family uh, VIP season tickets, I believe, but he also mentioned that hotels are offering him a place to stay in Kentucky. Restaurants are offering free dinners for this family, and even a local car dealership offered him a car. So super cool moment. It's kind of crazy how the power of social media can do that. So kind of a feel-good story um for this uh winner of the episode but yeah i tell you what dude and i have to get like go down this road but but like really if there's one day good thing social media has done is like you can find anybody you know how many times specifically in sports where like if someone tosses someone a ball and someone steals it through the power of social media hey if anyone knows who this was and then they're actually able to get the ball but yeah i know especially in sports and and, and kind of uh you know souvenirs and personal sports that's great thing for social media i don't know i just kind of felt like saying that yeah definitely um now we are gonna hop on the diamond with dizzling tanner catch up the listeners on what has been going on in the world series yeah well i was hoping to give some live updates throughout the episode however unfortunately there is some inclement weather in philadelphia tonight where Game three is supposed to be held. So game three has been postponed. Uh, the World Series schedule has all been pushed back uh, to accommodate this. So unfortunately, there's no game tonight. We're recording on Monday, October 31st, Halloween. Um, so there was no game during on Halloween. But uh, I'll catch you up on what's been going on so far. I mean, game one was absolutely awesome. Uh, I mean, if you're a Phillies fan, game one was about as high as you can get. Yeah, um, at least so far in this post, uh, the the Astros jumped out to a quick uh, four and, and one third inning. Out counting 
no losses there, but the Phillies came roaring back, scoring uh, five runs and tying it up by the fifth inning. And uh, it remained that way until the 10th. We went into extras, or I should say in the bottom of the ninth, there was a run on second. And uh, I believe it was Jeremy Pena kind of stuck out his bat and hit a little little flare into right field and to make that catch and, and save that game. But uh, in the top of the 10th, JT Real Muto led off the inning with them. And uh, Dave Robertson came in and closed the door. So the Phillies ended up winning that game 6-5 after falling down 5 nothing. So huge momentum boost there. Then they send out Zach Wheeler, probably their best pitcher. I mean, Aaron Nola's really good. I mean, it's a 1A and 1B scenario. So you're throwing out, you know, a really damn good pitcher and uh, have the game that Phillies fans expected, kind of similar to Aaron Nola, honestly. He gave up four earned, and in, in Phillies tried to climb back, scoring one in the seventh and one in the ninth, but did not have the uh, – could not muster the full comeback like they did the night before. So the Astros ended up taking that five to two. So, oh, well. Game three, like we said, was supposed to be tonight in a 1-1 game. That pitching matchup, I believe, is no versus Lance McCullers Jr., but uh, neither one, neither one's top pitchers, but uh, these games should be pretty interesting. Should be a lot of offense uh, come November 1st when game three actually starts. Yeah, the game one was absolutely incredible, even as a – non-baseball fit or non-MLB fan. It was must-watch. is crazy. Um, but, yeah, we will uh, keep you updated on the World Series. Obviously, unfortunate circumstances tonight had the postponement, but we will give y'all an update next week on episode 73. So, Tanner, as Pretty usual. We've done it the past couple of weeks. Let's hop right into our football weekend recap. Starting off in college, just an absolute beatdown that Notre Dame did to Syracuse winning 41 to 24. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think you mentioned it. We got a fraud alert, official fraud alert going out to the Syracuse Orange um Notre Dame just kind of came in as you said and, and kind of handled business but I I think it's very I, I really want to point this out it's incredibly rare to um score 41 points uh, do you have the stats up Sam are you, are you looking at the stats I am yeah okay so so do you see how many passing yards Notre Dame has if not don't look because I want to play a game if you haven't looked but if you look, yeah I did I did. Okay. That was one of my okay. points I wanted to bring yeah. up as well. Yes. So, so sadly, no game, but, uh, you know, it's hard to miss this, that they scored 41 points with 116 yards passing. Um, Syracuse just couldn't stop the run. That, that's all it was. And with the run, when you run the ball, the clock ticks, you control the pace of the game, you control the pace of the game, you have the ball for 37 minutes, almost 38 minutes, to Syracuse's 22 minutes. It makes it really damn hard to come back from uh, from an early lead that that Syracuse, or that Notre Dame had, adding a pick six, and this is where we are. Just uh, not a great game from Syracuse. Notre Dame, defense showed up, ran the ball effectively. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to add. 
Um, I will. I do want to highlight that Syracuse was four for thirteen on third down. That's just not a winning recipe. Combine that with time of possession being dominated by Notre Dame and Notre Dame just shoving the ball down your throat, yeah. and you have nothing to do about it. Yeah, and on the other side of that, Syracuse. I mean, in the run game, they fell down to an early deficit. So, granted, they probably had to turn the turn to the pass sooner than they would have liked, but they only gained 61 yards on the ground all game to Notre Dame's 246. I mean, right there. Yeah, it, it was a shocking game. I, I think me and you actually picked Syracuse to win this, and it was we're like Notre Dame is has been fraud all year, but turns out there was uh, Syracuse that was a fraud. Next game, a Big 12 matchup. TCU taking on West Virginia. TCU took this one 41 to 31. Hey, what did you, you think about this one? You like offense? I hope you do, because that <laughs> was a plenty in this game. I mean, 494 yards of offense for TCU, 430 for West Virginia, that offense kind of finally looked like what we expected when they, mm-hmm. uh, when we learned that they had gotten JT Daniels to transfer in from Georgia, but TCU uh, offense just looks as good as ever right now. I mean, Max Duggan, as the guy we've talked about, the Iowa boy that was not recruited by Iowa, uh, put in another 341 yards through the air and three touchdowns did throw a pick, but I think we'll forgive him for that. Uh Kendra Miller also on the ground for TCU added in another 120 yards and a touchdown. I mean, this offense looks every bit as good as advertised, man. They, they are really leaky on defense, which can definitely will be a problem, but we've talked about TCU before. They're easily, in my opinion, probably yours too, the favorite in the big 12 right now. And uh, that offense can score with anybody. And I think that the upper echelon teams, what sets them apart from TCU is that defense, but that TCU offense can score with anybody. Yeah. TCU, I mean, defense, that is the big question mark. Luckily, they play in Big 12, so not really a problem. No one has a defense in the Big 12, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> and a game we'll touch on later kind of cleared up the way for. TCU to kind of waltz into a Big 12 championship and possibly a college football playoff. Obviously, a lot of question marks still at defense. I mean, but when you have an offense being led by Max Duggan and uh, your offense is scoring nearly uh, two points per minute they had the ball, kind of hard to beat that. Yeah, so. that's like 41 <laughs> points. They, they, they won 41-31. And they had the ball for just under 24 minutes while West Virginia had it for 36 minutes. I mean, they just didn't – they, they score so quick. They don't need them. They get yeah. the ball. They score in four plays and then give it right back. Yeah, just that was incredibly electric. And you mentioned the possibility of the college football playoff. How fun would like a TCU-Tennessee game be? Oh, my both God. Offenses, and both of those defense have kind of struggled a little bit. I mean, Tennessee's defense is definitely better than TCU's defense. But like if you when you look at Georgia and Alabama, Tennessee definitely has a worse defense than them two. But like those deep, those leaky defenses and those offenses would be so fun. Yeah, it, it it's very possible we see that in this playoff. We'll definitely keep y'all updated on that. The first um, 
first playoff uh, rankings, I believe, come out tomorrow. So when this episode drops, you will know the official what the committee is thinking on these teams. But yeah, TCU dominant offensive game, defense struggle. Next one, Ohio State versus Penn State. This one was interesting to say the least, Tanner. Ohio State 44, Penn State 31. Tanner, what happened here? Tell you what, this box score is definitely going to be misleading. Um, for those of you who weren't able to watch the game, a 44 to 31 score line, 75 points total. You look at the total yardage, 482 yards for uh, Penn State. Looks like this Ohio State offense excelled and the defense held them back. When in reality, it's quite the opposite. This Ohio State defense was incredible all game long. A lot of turnovers. I believe they had uh, three takeaways, four takeaways. Four uh, takeaways. Four takeaways for that Ohio State Clifford defense. had three picks. Clifford had three picks, and then there was a fumble too. Just creating so many opportunities for the Ohio State offense, which, as we all know, doesn't necessarily need those opportunities with how good they are. I don't think they were especially sharp in this game. They looked better than they did against Iowa, but uh, I wouldn't say uh, – I'm willing to bet that they think they need to be a lot better. Under 100 yards on the ground, something – for the second week in a row now, which they've been able to run the ball pretty effectively into the season, heading into that game against Iowa. But uh, four for 12 on third down, I know they're going to want to improve there. But again, this just proves why Ohio State is so dangerous. Their offense wasn't incredibly sharp. They'll just come in and, and get four turnover or four takeaways, put their offense in position to succeed, and win the game that way. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it on the head. Ohio State's offense looked vulnerable. I, th- I, we talk about Mayan Henderson and or Mayan, Mayan Williams. I I can't remember, Mayan but they're they're one two punch at, at the running Trevion back Henderson position. And Mayan Williams. Trevion, thank yeah. you. I I combined the two. <laughs> um, but those two, you expect them to have at least one fifty, maybe more combined at least, and especially with um, Jackson Smith and Jigba not being a whole lot healthy this year, kind of relying on Marvin Harrison Jr. But I I say these past two weeks, their offense hasn't looked very good. I mean, C.J. Stroud's not the Heisman favorite anymore as he's kind of held that title all season. Um, But you said it. The defense is really what made this uh, game go the Buckeyes' way. Um, but I will touch on that later. Next one, a shocker to – honestly, I can't imagine someone thinking this would happen, and that is Oklahoma State taking on the Wildcats of Kansas State. Kansas State putting a throttle on the Pokes. Kansas State ending up winning by 48 to nothing. Taylor, what were your thoughts on this one? Uh, This was a good old-fashioned front-to-back, top-to-bottom ass-kicking. Every single aspect of the game 
belonged to Kansas State. Almost or more than doubled their yardage, 495 to 217. I guess I was I was unfair to Kansas State when I said Big 12 don't play defense because they took the what was a top 10 team in Oklahoma State and held them scoreless and held them to 217 yards in the game. Only 14 first downs, 63 total plays, forced them to punt six times. They couldn't get anything on offense. And on the flip side, Kansas State without Adrian Martinez, by the way, with Will Howard under center, they just got every single thing they wanted. Uh, it was it looked easy, it looked comical at times, just top to bottom throughout the entire game. Kansas State had full control. Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was under the impression Oklahoma State was gonna do what Kansas State did to them, just absolutely beat them with that classic Mike Gundy uh offense just rowing like crazy. And we, saw, baby. and we saw thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, Sanders looked horrible. 147 yards, one touchdown. Yikes. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, I'm looking kind of looking at the box score right now. I know we had turned this game off once it was like 35 nothing, but seven uh, seven passing attempts for a one gunner Gundy. So my it looks like Mike Gundy's Mike Gundy? son. There you uh, go. That's a lit son day. Could, could be a could be a you know a nephew or something. But Gunner Gundy got in this game. Football guy. Completed two two passes for 16 yards and had a pick. So tough one oh. for Gunner, but it happens. <laughs> this Kansas State defense was everywhere. Can't blame him too much for that one. Yeah, that that was uh not great. Not great debut debut for uh Gunner. But last game we got here, you know we have to talk about it. Iowa scoring 33 points, Tanner. Unfortunately, it was to one of the worst college football teams in the country, Northwestern, but we'll take all we can get. Tanner, what were your thoughts as Peters was slinging it? It's amazing (laughs) what happens when your offensive line can – stifle penetration now i think this was more of an indictment on how bad northwestern's defensive (laughs) line is and frankly how bad northwestern is everywhere on the football field uh more so than iowa's offensive line just playing well but when you don't have pressure um spencer petrus as as bad as he's been like this year it's pretty clear that he has played his worst football when under pressure he's not mobile at all he's not athletic and he makes terrible decisions with the football so when he has time he has always had a big arm no one's questioning his his arm strength right and uh so he's always had that big arm and when he's able to sit comfortable in the pocket he was actually accurate in this game it was insane uh insane to see and uh the improvements of of Spencer Petrus, when he's not under pressure, was incredible. And to to more complement how how uh, how well that offensive line played was the 173 yards on the ground. I mean, seeming to get whatever they wanted on the ground too. And the entire playbook was open for uh, Brian Ferentz in this game. And especially when you get out to a lead, you don't necessarily need to resort to the passing game, which has happened many times in the past. Iowa falls behind, forced to pass. Offensive line can't block. Petra sucks. 
more turnovers, it, 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 it gets worse. But everything lined up today. You got the lead. Your offensive line played well. And I think this was the blueprint. This was definitely the blueprint that Iowa was expecting for the season. It just all falls on that O-line when you don't have an athletic quarterback, you have one who makes poor decisions under pressure, and you can't run the ball. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I got to give props to our defense who's been holding it down. It's crazy what happens when you have a competent yeah. offense oh to complement that dominating defense. I mean, check out these stats. Passing 159 yards for Northwestern, but the real – Real uh, kicker here is the rushing yards for these Wildcats. Only 18 rushing yards on 37 carries. Pure dominance. No, no other way to put it. I mean, like the the best player on this Northwestern offense is easily Evan Hull, their running back. He had 119 yards on the ground against Maryland a week ago. He comes into Iowa City. He only gains 32 yards in 11 attempts, just stifling, right? Just when that didn't work, they had, again, they fell behind, couldn't run the ball, became one-dimensional. Iowa's defensive line was able to pin their ears back and get to the quarterback, a blueprint that has absolutely hurt Iowa all year long, hurt Northwestern this week. And I think I would also just like to say that this season, the one thing it should show you is just how bad things were under Scott Frost in Nebraska, because this Northwestern team, that is all time bad. They gave up 33 points (laughs) to this Iowa offense where seemingly everything was cooking for Iowa on offense. Uh, they've lost to Southern Illinois so far this uh, this year. They are one in seven, and now one win, <laughs> one win was against Nebraska. God, I love it. They've lost God. to Miami, Ohio, in there too. I'm just going through. They they lost to North uh, to Wisconsin, a team that is not good this year, forty two to seven. Yeah, that is. Uh, but one thing I think needs to be mentioned here is, I mean, you mentioned Nebraska and how bad they've been today. Another coaching job opened up at Auburn after they fired. I can't think of his name right now, but after a tough loss to Arkansas is canned. So a lot of, open jobs in college football. Thank you. But just a lot of open jobs, a lot of good jobs, honestly. I like like, uh, Auburn. They obviously question marks, uh, but that just might be coaching. Um, But that is going to wrap up the college football talk. We will be back after a short break talking some NFL. We'll be right back. And we are back, and it is time to talk some NFL. Kicking off the talk, 49ers dismantling the Rams 31 to 14. Tanner. 49ers didn't even have one of their best players, Debo Samuel, playing this. What what went right for the 49ers in this one? 
Um, everything. I think everything went right for the 49ers in this one. Uh, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you give you give an offensive mastermind a Swiss Army knife is what you do, and he truly was a Swiss Army knife in this game. And, of course, him being Christian McCaffrey, him, I mean, he's such a multidimensional back, and when you give it to such a, you know, such a creative offensive mind magic happens i mean keep this is all the this is with jimmy garoppolo under center like this dude hasn't been good for multiple years now uh imagine if this team had a quarterback they would be absolutely filthy uh and then that defense is as good as it comes so i i i still don't really know why the 49ers didn't make a run at a better quarterback i mean i guess they Maybe they believed in Trey Lance that much. Obviously, he got hurt, so we can't really put uh, put any you know value to that decision yet. But I mean, this team with all their weapons, yeah. And as you said, without Debo Samuel, they beat the Rams, the defending champions, thirty-one to fourteen, swept the season series from them. Uh, and without without Debo and with all these weapons. Not getting a quarterback is not really having a top tier quarterback. They are one away from being an absolutely ridiculous football team. Yeah. I mean, we knew Christian McCaffrey was gonna add some value to this 49ers defense. I I don't know about you, Tanner, but I certainly didn't think it would it'd be this quick. This this was just a unbelievable showing. People have forgot about how dominant Christian McCaffrey has been in the past, being unfortunately in Carolina, finally broke that, broke away from that, and we're seeing how good this dude can be with a mastermind like uh, Shanahan. Yeah, that's a match made in heaven. That offense looks completely different when you have uh, when you have Christian McCaffrey in the backfield versus when you have Jeff Wilson in the backfield, like no yeah. disrespect to Jeff Wilson, <laughs> but Christian McCaffrey makes that a whole lot scarier. Yeah, absolutely. So 49ers looking good as ever getting Debo back eventually in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully I don't really know why he was out. Tanner, do you know? Uh, I don't, Um, I don't think it was very serious though. I yeah. don't think it's a week to week thing. Um, and again, taking that series against the Rams sets them up in prime position to win to win the division. I mean, they just, apparently they got to outlast the Seahawks. Who would have thought that would be the case? <laughs> yeah. Next one. Speaking of backups like Geno Smith, we had the battle of the backups and benching two former Colts or one current and one former. Colts quarterback um, Taylor Heineke battling against Sam Ellinger. Tanner, these backups are looking good. Obviously, uh, Heineke walked away with this win, but Sam Ellinger looked good. Yeah, I mean, he held his own. I think the biggest thing is the zero interceptions. Uh, I mean, Matt Ryan had not been taking care of the football and uh, Ellinger did that. And even when the commanders took the lead late in the game, a the possibility of a late comeback was kind of halted before it could even start after Sam Ellinger rolled around the pocket through an absolute dime to Marvin Harrison, 20 yards down nope, the field. not Marvin Harrison. Or, 
<laughs> Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman. I'm mixing up my juniors. Michael Harrison Jr. on Ohio State. I'm mixing up my juniors, but Michael Pittman Jr., sorry, uh, threw an absolute dime to him, and he just drops it. And uh, it kind of destroyed all chances at a comeback. Uh, yeah, and Taylor Heineke, what else can be said? I don't know if there's anybody who has more heart in the NFL right now than, at least in the quarterback position, than Ty- Taylor Heineke. Excuse me. Uh, I mean, he's... He led him in rushing. He had he he and Curtis Samuel each had 29 yards rushing, 279 yards through the air, a touchdown, huge play to uh, Terry McLaurin to set up the go ahead touchdown. I mean, the dude just wins. The dude plays hard, and the dude risks uh, risks his body on every single play. And he's so fun to watch. Makes the Commanders frisky. And it's great, dude. I, 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 as long as Taylor Heineke is under center in Washington, I will be rooting for the Commanders, unless they play the Vikings, which I do next week. But still, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, uh, yeah, man, Taylor Taylor Heineke is looking good. I think he should be the starter for the foreseeable future, which is insane to say, considering he was in the NFL last year when the XFL was still thing. But I think both of these teams should keep rolling with their backups. Sam Ellinger looked good, but it'll be interesting to see who who kind of wins out that um that quarterback battle in Indianapolis. I tell you what, Sam, don't look now. In the past two weeks, former XFL quarterbacks are Four and zero, with Taylor no going two and zero, and former XFL quarterback PJ Walker. Oh, I guess they only lost, but I'm telling yeah, you, know you lied. Walker earned that win. No, I didn't lie. <laughs> PJ Walker earned that win. Eddie Pinheiro costed that, so I'm counting that as a I'm counting that as a Panthers win because he deserved it. So he led his team to a win. I'm counting it. <laughs> Panther. We got a game going on right now, Bengals Browns. What do you think the score is? Unless you're watching it, I am not watching it. Um, last time I checked, it was eight nothing, uh, eight nothing Browns. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say eleven to seven, Browns. Ooh, not close. We what got eighteen to nothing with seven twenty seven left in the third, going the Browns way. Who would have thought? Kobe Brissett, Dude. another. Another backup, sort of. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, next game we're going to talk about is your Vikings, Tanner. Had had a little bit of advantage with the new COD coming out, but playing Kyler Murray and the Cards, what were your thoughts on this one? Uh, I think this, other, other than the game against the Packers, which, of course, was week one, a lot of emotions in that game, I think this was the best win for the Vikings because – uh, a couple of those games, which, you know, the world is outspoken that the Vikings are frauds. I get it, you know, whatever. But um, <laughs> after the Bears game and after the Lions game where the Bears, you needed to come back to beat the Lions and you had to strip, you need a late touchdown and a forced fumble to come back against the Bears. Um, it kind of felt like the the Jesse Pinkman meme from Breaking Bad, like, they can't keep getting away with it type of thing. Um, but this game didn't feel like that. This, t- this seemed like Minnesota earned the win. Seemed like they were the better team. Uh, 
And it puts him at six and one. I mean, the like, and, and what's so scary about it is Kirk Cousins right now is just not playing his best football. And I think a lot of people are mislead are mistaken because they see the Vikings are six and one. They're like, oh, Kirk Cousins is playing great football. He's really not. He's really not playing that great of football. And it, it, the pat, at least for as long as he's been a Viking, this is like his second worst start of to the season, but. They're winning games because they have elite talent at wide receiver. They have a wide receiver who can get you a ball whenever you need it. They have a defense who is actually stopping people within two minutes. I mean, it's it's literally the, the defense made a few changes, only a few, and it literally was adding Zadarius Smith and trading Anthony Barr for Jordan Hicks are really the only main ones. And Jordan Hicks has been a very serviceable linebacker. So is Anthony Barr, though. But Zadarius Smith has been an absolute freaking monster so far this year if only green bay had a player like him to get pressure on the quarterback <laughs> that was eight and a half sacks so far this year five sacks in his last two games this game was no different he was an absolute beast i think he had two sacks in this game uh constantly in the backfield he has been so so good to start off his vikings career and uh that's the big difference is that defense is actually stopping people within two minutes because they're still in one score games like they were a year ago but they aren't giving up the points that they did a year ago, and they're actually winning them. So the 6-1 yeah. Vikings now have to go to Washington, which, again, very winnable game. Kirk Cousins' revenge game, you know how it is. You like that. He, if they win that game, which they probably will be favored, they will go to 7-1 and one to start off the season. And uh, But apparently we're fraudulent, so might all, might, might all be for naught. Yeah. You know, Tanner, I was one of those people that thought the Vikings were – frauds I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it but this game really spoke spoke a uh, lot of volume uh to me i mean deandre hopkins is back and looking as dominant as he had as ever that one-handed been. catch that one-handed was catch was insane um but vikings just keep taking care of business you like he said, you look at the stats of Kirk Cousins, you think, oh, playing pretty well. But really not. That defense is what Zendaria Smith looking good. Dalvin Cook, one honestly, one of the most underrated running backs. Not back. a guy, not a guy people talk a whole lot about, which he should. For some they reason. should. Because he's an absolute stud. And I feel like they used to. They used to talk about him, and they just don't anymore. And it was a number change. It was the number change. He went to four. Definitely looks a little bit less dangerous. The thirty-three looked more dangerous on him, but he's been just as good. So, so. But I also want to take a look at the schedule right now because the six and one Vikings have to play against the Commanders, Bills, Cowboys, Patriots, L. Jets. Lions, Colts, Giants, Packers, and Bears. There are really only three games on there that I could see them not being favored. Of course, they won't be favored against the Bills. I don't think they'll be favored against the uh, Cowboys. And there's a chance they might not be favored going into Green Bay. But other than that, it's kind of a favorable schedule. And some of the you know the, the fringe teams like the Jets and the Giants, they're both at home. So they'll be coming to Minnesota. Obviously, that will play a... Uh, that will play a part. And so are the Patriots, another frisky team coming to Minnesota on Thursday night. So uh, even there, even th those three I highlighted will be tough, but the three kind of fringe games that I think they'll still be favored in are all at home. So 
I mean, it's all laid out for you to go. I mean, thirteen and four. Yeah. If you pick off one of the ones that I highlighted as a tough one, maybe you get the Cowboys at home. Maybe you go uh, to Green Bay because their season's already might be already over at that point. So maybe they're benching Rodgers. They don't want him there. <laughs> so if you pick off one of those, you might be able to go fourteen and three. Like the 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 schedule is favorable for you. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't realize that it was that favorable. Um, but yeah, Vikings looking pretty legit. Um, but last game we're getting talked about is the Cowboys versus the Bears. Cowboys dominate 49-29. Um, shouldn't should have let the Bears to score 29, but 49-29 will take it. Here, is there a running back controversy Absolutely in Dallas? There is there, there should be. Tony Pollard is ridiculous with the football in his hands. He is the best running back in Dallas right now. Um, Zeke, of course, is a little bit beefier and, of course, gets paid more money. So I think that might have something to do with it. But right now, if I have if I have maybe if it's like third or fourth and one, I'm giving it to Zeke because he's a bit bigger. But right now, if it's first and 10 and I need to salt this game away, I'm giving it to number 20 because what he's able to do with the ball in his hands so far this year has been amazing. And, I mean, he's doing it up until this game while sharing touches and getting the lower share of the touches when he's able to fully shine as himself without Zeke. He was injured this week. He goes for 14 carries, 131 yards, and three is awesome. Uh, they need to find a way to keep him involved. Don't lose sight of him when you get Zeke back and try and give Zeke the ball. Definitely give Zeke the ball. I mean, he's a good back, but Tony Pollard, man, he is awesome, and I think he should be the number one back, personally. Yeah. This, as a Cowboy fan, I was kind of sad. I was happy for TP, but also mad, because that just showed everybody he could be a running back one, and obviously... The contract we have with Zeke is he's going to be the number one, which I'm okay with, but I'd love to keep TP. TP looked so good. It was so he fun seeing so him. so good. I, looked- I like um, – I think the commanders kind of run the system. Uh, Anderson kind of takes majority of the drive and then – when it gets closer to goal line, they put in Antonio Gibson. I I think that's a system the Cowboys should explore. Because Tony Pollard, I think, is just quicker, as well as can be used in the pass game and can get outside and get more yards. Ezekiel Elliott, very good running back. But he can't break one like he used to. He'll He'll get you five yards every carry. But he's not explosive like Tony Pollard. But I just have to highlight this uh, play in this one. And, of course, that is uh, – I think it was a pick by Justin Fields. No, it wasn't. It was uh, – It was a it was a pass to, to David Montgomery. That's what it was. He got punched out. And uh, Micah Parsons recovered. And Justin Fields just leaped over him, not touching him. And Micah Parsons, high IQ play right here, takes it to the end zone for six. 
as I put it to my buddies that are Bears fans, the Bears are going to bear. And that kind of encapsulates the Bears season this year. Just not not doing good. Yeah. A, a few th- I mean, not only Justin Fields thinking he was back at Ohio State and that he was down, but I also do want to point out that Michael Parsons in the backfield on that play. The, there was a the uh, the play was a third and fifteen or third and fourteen or something like that. So, and the fumble was punched out at about the first down marker. So Parsons in the backfield, he chased down and recovered the ball fifteen yards downfield. People were trying to you know celebrate, and he was like, "No, I ain't down." They were trying to celebrate, and he just kept running mm-hmm. into the end zone. It was it was it was a what are you doing moment for Justin Fields. Uh, but all in all, I mean, obviously. Cowboys are the better team. They outclass the Bears in pretty much every single way this game. But I do think that other than the second half against the Vikings, because Justin Fields was very good in that second half. First half, he was miserable. Second half, he was very good. I thought this was Justin Fields' best game of the year. I know he only had 151 yards through the air, but he looked dynamic. I mean, sixty yard. he had 60 yards on the ground. He put in two touchdowns, didn't turn the ball over. Uh, he didn't turn the ball over. Of course, there was the Bears did a couple times, but uh, and a rushing touchdown for Fields as well. So I thought I thought he was dynamic. I thought he was good. I thought if you're a Bears fan, there's no reason to be upset about this loss. The Cowboys are just better than you. They showed they were better than you, but your young pieces for the future did play well. Khalil Herbert also put in 99 yards on the ground and a touchdown. So your young pieces played okay. If you're a Bears fan, don't look at this game like it's a bad thing. I think it's definitely stuff to build on. But if you're a Cowboys fan, you're definitely happy because, like I said, you outclass them in every single phase in this game. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great way to put it. But that wraps it up for the NFL slate. We'll be back, obviously, when more next week. A lot of good games uh, to be reviewed in our pick But right now, we are going to hop into Player of the Week, Tanner. Who do you nominate for player of the week in the NFL? Ooh, I got a good one here because uh, this is a guy I had talked about earlier, but we didn't go that in depth. And you may have noticed it. And this is why, because this is where we're going to go in depth. And that is what I referenced as a Swiss army knife. Christian McCaffrey was awesome on Sunday. And I know what you're expecting. Yeah. You know, let, let's hear his stats. Well, I'll give you, he had 18 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown. That's that's a good game, right? He also had eight receptions for 55 yards and a touchdown. So all that together is uh, 149 yards of total offense and two touchdowns. But he also threw for a 34-yard touchdown, an absolute dime, a little swing route. Garoppolo threw it backwards to McCaffrey. He hit Brandon Ayuk 34 yards down the field, an absolute dime, and a touchdown. So this dude ran for 94 yards in a touchdown, received 55 yards in a touchdown, and threw for 34 yards in a touchdown. I don't know how much more of a Swiss Army knife you can be. (laughs) Threw for a touchdown, he ran for a touchdown, and he caught a touchdown. He did absolutely everything on the field. The only thing he didn't do is get a goddamn interception the way he <laughs> played. So you got to give it to him. And, and the 49ers really took a stronghold. Uh, I mean, I guess I keep forgetting about Seattle because Seattle's <laughs> making noise. The current leader, by the way. 
current leader of that division, but you have to think Seattle will fall off towards the end of the year. But San Francisco looks like they're the favorite to win that division. And uh, it'll only get better when they get back Debo. And Kyle Shanahan continued his regular season dominance over uh, Sean McVay. Yeah. Chris, how how can you not be? I think that crazy stat you're talking about, uh, I think it's a, of him throwing, running, and catching. I think that was the first time since Le- LT, LaDainian Tomlinson did it in 05. Yeah. That's I mean, insane. Any, anytime you're compared to LT, it's a damn good day. Yeah. Especially when you're the first one to do it in league history since 05. Yeah. It, those are two. My, I guess I had said by we are getting nominate our first. This might be, by the way, before you say it, this might be my favorite player of the week we've had thus far because this dude the stats say one thing, but when you watch the game, it adds a whole nother level to it to how good this guy was. But anyway, sorry. We are going to nominate our first defensive player of the week. And how can it not be JT Tui Mula from Ohio State? One of the most dominant defensive performances I have seen in a very very long time. He had six tackles, two sacks, one forced fumble, two fumble recoveries, two interceptions, and a touchdown. (laughs) Name another defensive player in college has done that. There's not a lot. That list is not very long. Absolutely dominant performance by JT Tui Mula. I mean, every single category he was in. Tackles, pretty sure he had some tackles for losses in there. Two sacks, including a strip sack, the forced fumble from that strip sack. Two fumble recoveries, two picks. Four takeaways right there, four. And the other one recovery was also his strip sack. So he did the entire work on that play. No one, like the entire play was him. Yeah. So four takeaways from him. One of them he got in the end zone. Uh, he had pass breakups in there. I mean, even stuff that doesn't show up on the stat, on the stat sheet, pressures, hurries, forced throwaways. He was all over the field. Probably one of, I mean, not probably, definitely one of the best individual defensive performances I've ever seen on a football field, both pro and college. Yeah. It, I still, as soon as we that game wrapped up, I was like, this dude, for sure, is a college football player of the week, our first defensive player of the week, so had to show love to defense, and what a guy to do it other than JT Tui Mula. Incredible game by both of these players. Probably the best. We've had great duos in the past, but I think this one, because of how absurd their stat lines were. Right in the past, it's just been guys who have excelled in their own role. I mean, is uh, Tui Moolah? Is that what it is? Uh, Tui Moolah is what Gus Johnson said on the highlight page. I trust Gus. So that's why I'm going with. I trust (laughs) Gus in my life. So I'm going Tui Moolah. I mean, that's definitely not his – I mean, his role isn't getting four 
turnovers and a freaking touchdown. Like he just went so over and above. And of course, for a running back, scoring a touchdown all three ways offensively is 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 not in your job description. So I mean, just going beyond their role this week is I, I think what really makes what really stands out to me on on the these players of the week. Yeah. Great two picks. I got to give it up for us. Give us a little pat on the back. But we are going to hop in to pick up Tanner. You had a good week. Four and three. I finished three and four. That is tying us up for the month. 19 and 11. Hold on. Has it been four weeks? Do we have a tie? Do we have a double punishment? Oh. No way. No way. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's see, let's see. Oh, no. That just hit me. And now we got to decide, what do we do? Do we just double punishment, or do we give it another week and tie break it? So, last, last, so, hold on. I'm just looking at the doc. So we did, I believe, a four-week or October week six. So this will be the fourth week, and we did five weeks in uh, week one. So there is one more week. So Okay. We we're tied going into the last we're week. We're tied is, going into the last week. We're so in the witching hour. Let's hop right into it, Tanner. Picking off our pick'em in college, number one versus number two. Tennessee travels to Georgia to take on the Bulldogs. Who you got here? I mean, is this the this is the college football game of the year right here? Number one versus number two. Decide, probably going to decide the SEC East. This is absolutely electric. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you have the game up, but before we get into the picks, do a little whose line is it anyway in this game? What do you think the line is in, in Georgia, Tennessee? The game is in Athens. Georgia one and a half. It's Georgia minus eight and a half. What? It is Georgia minus eight and a half right now. I... Expect that to move a lot during the week. Um, I don't really understand that. So the better in me is definitely saying well, it's not gambling advice responsibly. <laughs> if you were to be a better, maybe throw on Tennessee plus eight and a half. But in terms of winning the game, I I think I'm gonna lean Georgia here. I think being at home, uh Athens is a tough, as tough a place to play in the SEC as uh, as you'll find, um, and uh, the defending champs. That that defense has been good. The offense has struggled a bit, but Tennessee's defense has also struggled. I think I'm going to go with the home team, the better defense. I'm going to go with Georgia here. I'm not too terribly confident in that. What I am confident in is Tennessee plus eight and a half. Yeah, that I can't believe that. Honestly, I cannot believe that. Does Vegas know something we don't? That, that could is, always be it. That is the question, man. But this game must watch TV. 
if you miss it, something's clearly wrong with you. I seriously don't know who to go with. This is giving me major Tennessee-Alabama vibes. Tennessee is clearly the the least, the worst off defense. But, oh my, I'm going Tennessee. Right I like it. Top, baby, shock the world. I like take it. Take down Bama, take down Georgia. The SEC is theirs this year. So there you have it. Tennessee, Georgia, starting off with a bang on Saturday. And then we got another great SEC matchup. Alabama taking on LSU. Who you got here? Uh, I'm going to go with Bama. I just, I'm not going to overthink this one. I mean, Nick Saban, really, the only time I can really remember him losing to LSU was when LSU had an entire starting NFL offense playing in their college offense. Uh, of course, LSU went on to win that national title. Um, I just, I, I just think Bama's on 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 a another level compared to LSU. Um, they are they have the they have that blemish on their uh, on their ledger against Tennessee. They're fighting for their lives in the SEC. Uh, they'll come out ready to play. They get the they get the win in Baton Rouge. Ooh, that's the bad take, man. I got LSU Tigers, huh? Going, playing in Death Valley, the real Death Valley at night in Baton Rouge. People are gonna be going crazy for this one, and they're coming off a bye. A lot of preparation for this Alabama team coming into Baton Rouge. I think LSU pulls off the giant upset. And having a big impact on Alabama's season. But that kind of wraps it up for our college slate. Not a whole lot there. I mean, we have NC State, Wake Forest. Wake Forest got throttled by Louisville last week. Uh, NC State, obviously, without their David Le- their quarterback, David Leary. So these are the games you must watch on Saturday. So, hopping over to the NFL slate, Tanner, we have a good one. Chargers versus Falcons, who you got here? Yeah, I tell you what, a lot of people see this matchup. I, I personally can't believe we'd be picking this uh, if you told me this uh, preseason. But uh, I tell you what, I'm I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to go with the home team. Give me Atlanta against, uh, against LAC. Um, I just, I like the way they've been playing that, uh, so far this year. Kind of snuck away with the win over Carolina. I think they're able to get back to the drawing board, work on some things. Chargers have just been an absolute letdown so far this year. I think they're going to struggle on the road in Atlanta. Give me the Falcons. That's a great pick, man. I not like what I've seen from the Chargers. Mike Williams having down near Keenan Allen injury. Austin Eckler going up and down all season. I like the Falcons here. I think uh, they pull it off in this one. Tanner, next game we got Packers versus Lions. Who you got here? Um, I tell you that. I mean, obviously the Packers have been miserable so far this year. They have looked really bad. Lost to the Commanders. Lost to the Jets. Lost to the Giants. 
the Lions, after starting out strong, giving the Eagles a run for their money, and then getting a win in week two, they have just been awful since then. Um, yeah, they've just been terrible since uh, since getting that w- win against the Commanders. So I, I think the Packers are going to be able to go into Detroit and get that win. Uh, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to lose to the Lions. I've got the Packers. You know, any other year, I think I agree with you. But I I don't like Aaron Rodgers. I know you don't, so I'm kind of surprised oh, you picked him. But they, I, I like the Lions. I think uh, DeAndre Swift coming back is huge for that team. I look for them to kind of rely on him in this one. And with Alan Lazard still fighting the injury, It'll be interesting. I think this is going to be a close one. I have the Lions pulling this one out. Next game, the Red Hot Bills and the slip up of the Jets last week. Who you got in this one? Bills. No need to really dive into anyone who knows football knows this. The Bills are just too good, top to bottom. So, so much talent. You mentioned Red Hot. Jets will be no match for the Bills. I'm not sure the Bills will lose a game uh, the rest of the season. No need to overthink this one, Bills. Yeah, I got the Bills. I will say if Brees Hall was still healthy, I think it'd be closer, but I just think the Bills, with the weapons they have, kind of take care of this one rather easily. Tanner, next one we got the Battle of the Birds, Seahawks cards. Who you got? This is a good, good matchup. Uh, I mean, I still, like, you look at the rosters, (laughs) I still think the Cardinals might have more talent but these Seahawks, man, they have been tough to bet against, and I am not going to be the one to do it, especially against this Cardinals defense who has looked not good at all this year, uh, giving up 34 points to the Vikings that the last week. And uh, if you go, go further back this year, not very good. And Geno Smith has been playing not just like a good quarterback. Geno Smith has been playing like an elite quarterback in Seattle. Uh, that wide receiving core has been awesome, uh, one that we had said – was good. We just whether or not they could get the ball from uh from these widers or from the quarterback position, which he is able to do. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on I'm gonna bet on the Seahawks. They've been too good this year. Give me the Seahawks. Yep, I'm with you. Geno Smith has impressed everybody. It's very clear it was Russell Wilson that was the problem in Seattle. DK Metcalf game healthy again. I got the Seahawks in this one. Last game on the slate, Rams versus Bucks. The battle of the two disappointments this season. Who you got in this one? Boy, you, that's an understatement. Just the dis- the, <laughs> the disappointments. Yeah, I somehow had the Packers in here. It truly is the disappointment crew. But um, this is going to be ugly because both teams kind of stink right now. Uh, definitely something to look out for is the health of Cooper Cup. Uh, he left the game early against the uh, 49ers. Um, hopefully he's able to play, but uh, I still think I am going to go with the Buccaneers here. I think they've just, I just think they're more well-rounded disappointment. So I, I think their defense is going to be able to hold hold that Rams offense to, uh, to a rough day. And I've got the Bucs getting revenge. Hard to imagine that this was a playoff matchup last year. But uh, now it's for you know it's for the, it's the loser leaves town game. You you lose this game, you are in a world of hurt. Yeah, 
this one's interesting. Both teams have not performed to expectations at all this season. I still like the Rams in a close one. Um, Stafford finally getting connected with Allen Robinson. Uh, Cooper Cup's injury doesn't seem too serious. Um, so I got the Rams in this one. But that kind of wraps it up for Pick'em of the Week. We got one question for you, Tanner. And this comes from Lincoln Riley. Thank you so much for the question. And he wants to know, what's your expectations on Iowa basketball this year? I can tell you what, they're not overly positive. Um, But to be fair, they were not last year either. And Keegan Murray turned out to be an absolute revelation. Lead the Big Ten in scoring. Should have won Big Ten Player of the Year, but that's neither here nor there. Top five pick. Obviously, we all know how that ended up. And and Iowa looked good. Uh, But you lost a lot. Of course, you lost Keegan Murray, who was your best player. I know we like to talk about Jordan Bohannon, how he needed to leave before, and I still stand by that. But um, you don't have him anymore. He's a veteran presence who, you know, who could handle things. So, uh, you know, you're going to be leaning on Tony Perkins a lot. You're going to be leaning on Chris Murray. Um, It's not going to be too high. I think they'll be a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team, barring another Murray turning into Michael Jordan. Yeah, uh, I think – Middle of the Big Ten is our best hope. Yet, Chris could take a jump like Keegan. We don't know. Our bigs are still trash. I mean, we got Philip Herbracha returning. Not too impressive. Probably a bubble team. Probably a bubble team to uh, if make it a you know eleven to fourteen seed. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a good prediction. Um, Tony Perk needs to step up. Aaron Eulis. Um, needs to step up and play, play a little smarter. Um, but that that's kind of our thoughts. Obviously, we'll dive more into it once college basketball is kind of the main main sport. But that will wrap it up for episode seventy two. Let us know what your thought were thoughts were on the college football and NFL slate. Who your player? of the week was in college football and NFL. And of course our winner and loser, you can follow the podcast on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at crunch time underscore pod. And if you miss my sweet dance moves, check out the Go check that TikTok out. right now, but that will wrap it up for this episode. The clock has run out, but we'll see you on the next one on crunch time.